Well, don't know what happened there, but hey, welcome to the Answer Religious Era Show. Glad to have you tuning in today. This is our live Bible Q&A. So if you have a Bible question, now is the time to send in your questions. You can email us questions at answeringreligiouserror.com. Again, that's questions at answeringreligiouserror.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us. You can also private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiouserror. We go live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time. So if we don't get to your Bible question today, we will, Lord willing, next week get to uh, your question. We do uh, our best to take all live questions that we receive, though, during the show and answer them for you. Uh, if you're not able to catch us live, maybe you're catching us on the replay later on. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in, but you can also catch us on podcasts. We are on all major podcast platforms just subscribe, look for Answering Religious Error or The Daily Answer. But also, The Daily Answer is a Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern Time show that Mark Dunnigan hosts for us. Appreciate all the work that he does. It's a about 15 to 20 minute show that will really get your day started as you look into the scriptures. And Mark gives you The Daily Answer all life's questions. So that's the Daily Answer Podcast with Mark Dunnigan, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern Time. Be sure to subscribe to that on all major podcast platforms. Again, we want to make mention about our Tuesday show as well, Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. That's a series that we are currently doing called Why I Believe. And so we're covering different subjects of why I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, why I, why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and so on. And so we'd encourage you, if that is something that you're interested in learning more about and understanding why you have faith in the things that you do, then tune in every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time for our Why I Believe series. We do go live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter and podcast. And so you can catch us all over the place. And we appreciate all the support that you give to Answering Religious Air. All right, gentlemen, ready for a good show. Looking forward to uh, answering the questions that we have. We got Brian, uh, Marky Mark there, Terry, Nick, and uh, Mark Gibson. Nick and uh, Mark's filling in for us today uh, for those who are out. Guys, how are you doing? Doing great here in Alabama. Uh, doing good. Mark, bro. where you at? Real well. Richmond. I'm outside of Richmond, Virginia. Okay. Good deal, man. You, uh, I'm going to switch over. I'm going to switch over to my other uh, hotspot, Brian. So I'll okay. pop in and pop out. All right, man. Good to have you on the show. All right. Uh, before we get started with uh, our show, let's have a word of prayer and uh, then we'll get into the questions. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick uh, Greenman, you mind leading us in that? Let's pray. Our Holy Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer this morning. Grateful for this opportunity to be able to share the scriptures with this audience that is tuning in from across the world. We're grateful for this opportunity and this medium to be able to work through this technology. We're grateful, Father, that you have given us your scripture so that we can share it with others. And we pray for wisdom and we pray for conviction and we pray for obedience, Father. And we are grateful that you have, have seen to it that we are able to gather together today in this fashion. And we pray that you will watch over those across the world who are tuning in, pray that you will be with our brethren across the world, whether their governments are protecting or harassing them. We pray, Father, for their strength and their courage and their conviction to be faithful every single day. Thank you, Father, for all that you have blessed us with. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Appreciate that uh, prayer. All right. This is our live Bible Q&A. You can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on our Facebook page. Before we get our first question, though, it is meantime. All right, today's meme that was floating around on social media that we want to answer. And if you have a meme that, that you would like for us to answer, you can, again, email us or private message us on our Facebook page. We'll take these memes and answer them for you. But uh, this one, for those who are listening on the podcast, has a picture of a, uh, a priest, prefer, uh, probably a Catholic priest here uh, who's holding a, a cross with Jesus on the cross. Then you have, a uh, to my right, a picture of a witch doctor. And at the top, it says Christianity, and it says the inability to see that the priest is as crazy as the witch doctor. And the idea I get from this uh, meme that we want to answer is that uh, whoever the meme creator here is, that they say that, hey, this is what represents Christianity, is this priest who wears this special uh, uniform, who has these statues, and he is just as crazy as the witch doctor which, uh, no pun intended there, but which Christianity would be opposed to. And so we want to uh, answer uh, this meme here. Brian Haynes, we'll start with you. You know, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, um, uh, I, I think the idea of, of ascribing both of these people to be crazy wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be appropriate. What you're really trying to say is they both have a degree of delusion. Now, uh, the problem is neither of these people represent Christianity to the same degree. You know, the Catholic priest is as far from Christianity, or maybe that's not fair to say, but I, I would go ahead and be bold enough to say it. Uh, he is as far from Christianity as the uh, the witch doctor, the shaman yeah. from some yeah. local pagan religion. Neither of them represent Christianity at all. Um, they're both wearing signs and carrying emblems that imply a, a pagan background or a non-Christian background. So the irony is you can have a picture of a car and an airplane and try to make a connection to Christianity there because they don't represent Christianity. Um, so that would be the first thing. The second thing I'd say is crazy, as I said, is not the word to use, perhaps deluded or, um, you know, uh, which is which is a common thing to most human beings. You know, most people have a delusion of some kind that they pursue, that they believe in, that they put all their confidence in. But maybe the last thing to say, too, is that we have to kind of be careful as Christians that we see a meme like this. We need to appreciate this probably doesn't reflect a great majority of the world and how they look at Christianity. I would suggest that the rest of the world looks at Christianity with something a little worse, with apathy. They just don't care. Yeah. Not with an animosity that you're finding here with uh, whoever put this meme together. It's the apathy towards Christianity that causes our biggest problems. Uh, people say, oh, I don't, you know, I have nothing against Christianity. I just have no interest in it either. Um, that's the great majority of the world around us. And that's, that's the greater danger than whoever put this meme together. Yeah. Appreciate those thoughts. Uh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, Brian, great to be on the show today. Hopefully I'm not breaking up. Um, it's a, a good point to note that if we talk about Christianity, as far as if we say, well, what defines Christianity? Well, the new Testament. Okay. I read the new Testament. I don't find Catholicism. I do find a priesthood there, but it's a priesthood where every Christian is a priest. That right. passages would be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Um, it's interesting. I think it's very much behind the times. Brian, Cindy and I have been to different places. We were just at Williamsburg, Jamestown, Yorktown recently. And on the things in the museum there, 
they're arguing that, especially among the natives at the time, which that with their with their own priest, they said that was a very advanced religion. And I found that kind of interesting is that we have a culture that no longer views the witch doctor as superstitious, but advanced. And I, to, to me, I think the meme has a lot of things that a lot of truth there is that both of these groups are based on human wisdom. Yeah. Human doctrines, a number of different amulets or things that they consider that have magical powers. And I reject both of them. And instead, let's pick up the Bible and do what it says. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, right on. Go ahead, Terry. Well, I like to turn this. Uh, I suppose this is like uh, from atheists trying to criticize Christianity and therefore pulling out some of the worst things that they might could associate with that. I would put a different picture under the title of atheism. I'd, I'd have a drunkard lying on the street. He's all washed out. And the reason why he's that way is because he doesn't believe in God. And then I'd put on the other side, maybe a picture of Hitler uh, and uh, maybe some the, the massacre of people that uh, uh, fell behind him or maybe some of the other atheists of the of the past and say, uh, atheism, the inability uh, to see that uh, that the ruler is as uh, backward as the drunkard. Atheism has both. And then so you can put the worst of anything in that category and and you'd be doing the same thing. So it's really not a valid way of addressing what is true Christianity nor would that be fair to atheism to do the same thing back to them, but it's, you know, giving them uh, what they deserve by presenting something like this. So those are my thoughts on that. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. And to the fairness, I mean, there are millions of people who claim Christianity that do not look like this individual here and how he's presenting himself that Christianity presents. Uh, Mark Gibson, what's up? Yeah, along with what you're saying and what Terry said, the idea here is that one religion is just as crazy as another one. It comes from the idea that uh, no no religion is worth thinking about. See, they're just all they're just all nuts anyway. But what what is crazy is the idea of refusing to see the evidences of the of the true God. What's crazy is ignoring the evidences that the Bible is the Word of God and inspired of God. What's crazy is ignoring all the things that we have today that God has given us and not giving him praise and glory for it. That's what's crazy, not religion itself, but rather ignoring that which is true and the true religion that God has given us. Okay. All right. Uh, anyone else? I think that was covered well. All right. So that was meme time. If you, again, if you have a meme that you'd like for us to respond to, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousera.com or private message us on our Facebook page. And as always, if you need clarification on the things we discuss, you can email us and we'll be sure to uh, take care of that. All right. A first question for the day. Uh, and this particular question we did not receive, but it was uh, posted online on social media. So we wanted to, uh, to deal with it. Uh, why is it that some churches of Christ are using instrumental music to worship? We thought that was uh, something we'd want to uh, discuss. So uh, Terry Benton, let's start with you. Well, let's start with the fact that historically the church saw itself uh, as it came into being 
as a part of a period of reformation. You see this term in Hebrews chapter 9 after discussing the temple, the tabernacle um, uh, items of, uh, of worship there. Uh, and he talks about they were carnal ordinances, they were fleshly things. And then he says, now the spirit was using these, verse 8 of chapter 9 of Hebrews, was indicating some things by the, this. And verse 9 says it was symbolic. So the Old Testament use of instrumental music, the burning of incense, the animal sacrifices, the, uh, the priestly robes, everything associated with that old system, God had in mind to symbolize something. So they had a symbolic value, but they were not the thing that God ultimately had in mind because he had in mind using these to get to the period of reformation. And so uh, he says uh, they were imposed, verse 10, until the time of reformation. So the instrumental music, the other, the other items of the Old Testament were fleshly uh, in nature. That is, they pertain to the flesh. They appeal to the flesh. They may have had some symbolic value, but they were imposed until. So they were not uh, God's will for all, all time but were imposed until the time of reformation. When you reform, you, you take uh, what is present and you reform it or shape it into something else. Well, in Ephesians chapter, uh, all, all the way through the book of Ephesians, you see a temple now is a spiritual temple. You see incense is now spiritual incense. You see uh, singing and making melody in the heart, again, a spiritual association. So the, the reformation period that we, Christianity entered us into uh, gave us spiritual items that had only been uh, symbolic, uh, fleshly symbolic things that pointed to something spiritual in the New Testament. And therefore, we're in that period of reformation. So if you go back and you start pulling back the instruments of music or then you're obligated to take in the burning of incense. You're obligated to take in the separate priesthood. You're obligated to the animal sacrifices. You're obligated to all of those things that had symbolic value under the Old Testament system. You'd be obligated to take it in, all in. So uh, the question is, why is it that some churches of Christ are using it in worship today? I think they've forgotten that we are not here to please ourselves. We're not here to please man. We're here to please God. And we take the things that the New Testament provides us in this period of reformation and understand, hey, we're here to please God. And this is what God was pointing to. He was pointing to the strings of the heart. Uh, not the uh, external things that were used under the Old Testament system. So why are they doing it? Were they forgetting the, uh, the way of the period of reformation? Those are my thoughts. Yeah, I, I love the point about, you know, Jesus is the temple. We are the living stones that make up the temple. And, 
and we offer the we're the priests who offer the spiritual sacrifices. We are the new temple singers and so on. I mean, that's that's an excellent point there. Uh, Mark, what you got for me, man? You know, Mark, Brian, there uh, might be there's there's probably all sorts of reasons. Some might be popularity. Some might be desperation. Some might be a complete that we have a generation that doesn't understand Bible authority. Uh, some might be like we want to become like the nations or the denominations around us. Some might be an attempt to bring in more people to be viewed as kind of more with it or culturally acceptable. It's interesting, Brian, that I think the fundamental reason, though, is a lack of respect for Bible authority or what God has said. When God told Noah to build the ark, God was very specific about the type of wood used. And the more specific God is, that means the less options we have. We see that in Leviticus 10 also where Nadab and Abihu, priests, were struck dead for using unauthorized fire. So when we go into the New Testament, the only authorization for music that we find among God's people uh, in the assembly when we meet together, the one and other passages, is singing. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. And so I would say it's a failure to respect what God has said he wants. It's a failure to respect. God says, here is the music I want from you. Here is what I desire. I think Terry's right. I think people sometimes forget that worship is God-directed, not man-directed. Those are my thoughts. Yeah, Brian? Uh, one thing we have to always kind of be careful, too, when we ask questions like this, is that we're not slipping into a mindset that sees the Church of Christ or a Church of Christ as a denomination. Um, sometimes we think, well, why aren't they all the same? Why aren't they all exactly the same? And the answer is because none of them are the same. You know, we're, uh, we use this word autonomy to describe the idea that each one of us makes our own decisions. Um, if there's a church of Christ down the street from the group that I'm a part of, um, maybe they'll, you know, have instrumental music, or maybe they'll have a woman as a minister, or maybe they'll, you know, do all sorts of things. They, they worship on Saturday. Um, they may make any of those decisions. And the point is that uh, what makes a church belong to Christ is it pursues the things of Christ, not that it's a part of some group that uh, has some affiliation uh, as the denominations do. So it's kind of important when we think of things like this, the answer is, well, you know, anybody can do anything they want. Uh, it's not as though, you know, there's any kind of mandate or revocation beyond the spiritual one of that name. You know, we know that Revelation 2 and 3 is a great example of Jesus revoking his name from congregations that weren't doing the things that he was pleased with. And we would understand that that happens not at a level that's observable by man, but it's understood by faith. So it's important for us to discern and to understand that that's all there is to it. So kind of important for us uh, as an aside that whenever we think of things like this, we need to appreciate we're not talking about a denomination. We're not talking about, you know, groups that have a consistent uh, ideology that they've all agreed upon. We're just saying anytime a group of Christians come together and they say, let's just use the Bible and only the Bible, they're more or less going to come out to the same pattern. And that pattern is to be a church that belongs to Christ. And that's the, the meaning of the idea. Good stuff. Nick. Yeah, uh, just so I don't uh, beat a dead horse here. I, I do want to make a comment, though, that kind of follows along with everything that what everyone is saying, uh, because there does seem to be this tendency for people to abandon or not be taught appropriately how to establish Bible authority. And and so I appreciate the, the desire for people to want to ask questions and just to make sure that what they are practicing is authorized or making sure they're not binding where God has not bound. But 
we do need to be able to learn how to establish biblical authority. And, and so churches are can fail if they don't do that. And going along with the point that Brian was making there in Revelation chapter 3, verse beginning there in verse 1, there was a church that had a name that said they were alive, but they were dead. And so we do have to be careful about that. But if we want to petition the Old Testament for authority uh, to establish uh, instrumental music, then we're going to be sorely pressed because even in the Old Testament, God regulated his worship. Not just anybody could could worship God with those musical instruments. As, a, as an example, you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, it says there in verse 4, Then all the assembly said that they would do, do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. And so David gathered them all together, and they all... Uh, they all worshiped, uh, it says in verse eight, then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and, and with trumpets. Everybody did. This was the whole thing. And of course we know it, it all failed. It all, uh, uh, just crumbled. Uh, when Uzzah laid out his hand to steady the ark, he was struck dead. And David's like, well, what am I going to do? How am I to get the ark back? And then it wasn't until he consulted God on the proper order. You go to 1 Chronicles 15, and then David realized how to appropriately transport the ark, not on some kind of new cart pulled by oxen, but on poles, and the Levites were to carry that. But if you keep reading in 1 Chronicles 15, you learn that David gathered the Levites together, and they were the ones who were authorized and, and to, to sing the musical instruments or use the musical instruments and sing and do that worship. Not just anybody could of Israel, but but the Levites were. And, and case in point, you go fast forward to the days of Hezekiah when he restores temple worship. It says, and he stationed in verse 25 of, of 2 Chronicles 29, he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan, the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. And, and so God regulates his worship. And, and so he regulated it in the Old Testament. He regulates it in the New Testament. And we have to respect that. Yeah, great points. Appreciate that. And yeah, and if you're going to go to the Old Testament, like you were saying, I mean, mul there was multiple times where in those passages that you alluded to that it says, according to the commandment of David. And then later on, it says, according to the commandment of God. And so it was certainly commanded under the Old Testament. But as as we've shown now, it's it's singing. So appreciate those comments there. All right. Next question we have today. What does it mean to be greater than John the Baptist in Luke chapter seven? And in verse 28, uh, Mark Gibson, you've been quiet. You want to take a stab at that? Well, uh, the context of that passage, of course, Jesus is speaking about John and the greatness of John. He told them, verse 26, what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say two and more than a prophet. And then quotes the passage from Malachi that prophesies of him coming to prepare the way of the Lord. And then our verse, verse 28, for I say to you, among those born of women, there is no greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than me. The distinction being made there is between the role and work that John had as preparing for the Messiah, and he lived under the old covenant, and he was an Old Testament prophet in that sense, but had a special work in coming as the Messiah was about to appear and announcing his coming. 
yet he was not in the kingdom of God in the sense of what he announced and what Jesus announced. That is, the time is near, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. But John died, uh, was uh, murdered by Herod Antipas because of his stand for the truth and against his adulterous marriage, and he was beheaded. He was not a member of the or a citizen of the kingdom that he announced that was coming, of the messianic kingdom that was coming. So in that sense, we are in a greater position as citizens of that greater kingdom than John was under the kingdom that he lived under, the kingdom of Israel under the Mosaical law. And I think that's simply the distinction being made. And I would simply add, like it says at the end of Hebrews 11, after that great list of those worthies of the Old Testament and the things they did by faith, but that alone did not ensure their salvation because at the very end it says that God having provided something better for us, and that's what we have in Christ and his kingdom, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. That is, they needed the, the death of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. They needed what we have that is accomplished now in the Messianic kingdom to retroactively uh, go back and, and, in a sense, like Hebrews 9.15 says, to provide eternal redemption for them. So John died just short of the coming of the kingdom. We now are blessed in that kingdom. And so even the least disciple today as a citizen of the Messianic kingdom is in a greater position because of that Messianic kingdom than John was in his day. All right. Appreciate it. Uh, Terry Ben, you want to add anything? Just a little bit because Mark covered it very well. Yes. But I'd like to look at uh, Ephesians chapter one. Uh, when he says that in Christ Jesus, we're given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And he names such things as forgiveness of sins, redemption through his blood and adoption. Well, you know, all of those things are the great things John was wishing for and hoping for, but he didn't get a chance to say, and here they are, they're coming. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is is almost here, but he didn't get a chance to say, now we've entered it and here are our great blessings. So anybody that is in the kingdom, as Mark was saying, anybody that's in the kingdom has a greater opportunity as a greater message to say not that the kingdom is coming, but that here it is and here are the tremendous blessings you have an opportunity to be a part of. And then in Ephesians 1, he says, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purchased with his, uh, which he uh, purposed in himself. Uh, so he purposed that in the church, we would have the great opportunity of being his children, adopted into his family and being a part of his kingdom. John the Baptist was only hoping for. So he who is least in the kingdom is greater than even John in the sense that he has the great privileges that John only hoped for. Those are my thoughts. All right, Mark. And do we appreciate that, Brian? You know, Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it. And they hear what you hear and did not hear it. Man, as Christians, do we appreciate just things like like a complete Bible. 
and the fact that we see complete fulfillment of God's plan, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies, things in which Peter said, things in which angels long to look, First Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12. What would David, what would Abraham have, have given to live in the time period we are living in? As, and not only that, but to share the gospel. And uh, I know it's convicting. Like, are we making very poor use of our amazing blessings? What would the Old Testament saints do with our opportunities today? Those are my thoughts, Brian. Great stuff. Anyone else? You know, I have an old saying uh, that I've heard that, uh, what do you call the guy that graduates last in his class at medical school? Well, you call him doctor because he did it. What do you call the guy that barely makes it into the kingdom of heaven by the skin of his teeth? Well, you call him saved because he's there. And so the point is, uh, you know, the, the, the establishment of the kingdom, whether it's the parable of the workers in the vineyard that only showed up for an hour, uh, you call them inheritors of the promise. And so we, you know, some of us may have labored here a lot. Some of us just may have Barely got in, but it's uh, we're all saved. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Brian, I might I might add this. You know, the last person drafted on the football draft is this Mister Irrelevant, but some of those guys go on to have great careers. So don't don't worry about being irrelevant. Yeah, absolutely, good stuff, man. All right, uh, this is our live Bible Q and A. So if you have a Bible question, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousera.com, private message us on Facebook. If you'd like to come on the show. We'd love to talk to you one-on-one. You can come on uh, via video or just uh, audio only. Just follow the instructions on the description on Facebook and YouTube, and we'd love to have you on. Next question, what's the best way to get a Bible study with people? Well, there's not a magic formula that's going to work every time because you've got different souls, different hearts, different interest levels in people. So uh, the, I don't know that there's a best way that works, works what you want it to work every time, but uh, there's nothing better than just to say, uh, would you be interested in a Bible study? Uh, just be open and honest. Hey, I've got some great things that I've studied and I wish that uh, I, I'd like to share them with you if you'd be interested. Uh, so just come out and ask those just, just, you know, Jesus did open some doors with, with, uh, you know, we went to the woman at the well in, in John chapter four and just asked for water. And she she then asked a question back, and gave him an opportunity to to talk about living water then. Uh, so sometimes you use your you use tools like that uh, as door openers and see see where you can go with that. Uh, but uh, uh, that's just one example. Other times just just dive in and try yeah. try to see what the interest level is if there's no interest there you'll find out in a hurry about that if there is then you might can uh, make that door open a little more just just work at it yeah i appreciate that just just ask it's, it's that simple all right uh mark dunnigan what's the best way to get a bible study with people what you well, got well i think along with that uh brian do you have the life to back it up do you have the life to back up the Man. credibility yes. of your question uh are you ready uh that is, are, are you aware, have you carved out time in your schedule when you ask someone and they said, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested. Okay, when? How about Tuesday? How about Tuesday night at seven? Are you aware of your schedule that, do you have something you can give them on the spot, a card, contact information? Are you willing to open up your home 
are you willing to go into their home? And so uh, th there's a number of things there that I think play into this question. Are you willing to fish anywhere that is just not at w work or your immediate neighborhood or your immediate family members, but are you out there fishing everywhere and taking a good use of opportunities? But yeah, a lot of Bible studies happen, Brian, because well, now does it seem like a good time or it seems like they're kind of busy or they seem like they're kind of preoccupied and maybe by, maybe I will ask them later type of thing. I think that's where a lot of stuff gets sidetracked where the devil convinces us, well, it's not like you're not going to do it, but now is not a good time, man. Yeah. Seize the day. Seize the day, my friend. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and I do want to ask the audience, we don't ever really ask audience questions, I don't think, but uh, to the audience out there, what is the best way that you have gotten a Bible study? We would like to hear uh, what you have to say on that. Uh, maybe you have some uh, some tactics there that would be helpful to us. Uh, Mark Gibson, go ahead. I was just going to add that uh, if you want to get somebody interested in anything, talk a lot about it. Talk about the Bible. Talk about why well, I was reading this, or did you know this proverb, or uh, this might help your day and just give them this is a Bible verse. Uh, I was thinking about examples in the Bible, people studying their quote unquote Bibles. Of course, Acts 17, 11, the Berean Jews searched the scriptures. Well, what got them to do that? Well, Paul and Silas and others were, were there as they were in other places. They went into the synagogue. What did Paul do? He talked about, well, the prophecies. He talked about the messianic fulfillment of those prophecies. It got it got those Jews interested in getting back there again and looking at those prophecies. And we have a lot of people around who may be familiar with the Bible, may not. But if we talk about the Bible, that may interest them and say, hmm, well, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. I wonder what else is in there. And there's your open door. That's good stuff. I like this. You know, Brian, do, do people even know you're a Christian? I, I, I'm at work. I mean, I, I, I know I've talked to... I know there was one uh, preacher who said, you know, he was out there in the secular world working and decided to go into preaching. And he, you know, he was talking to someone in the elevator and telling him, yeah, I'm going to preaching." that person in the elevator said, oh, I didn't even know you were a Christian. And that was so convicting, you know, that came about his faith. Yeah. And so how, how much do we talk about our faith today? Right. Right. Uh, I like this comment uh, from Truth and Reason. I think that's Chris Kramer, actually. Uh, if you have to schedule a meet with someone, go ahead and ask them if they have a question you could answer when you meet. Uh, it will open some doors and pique their interest to follow through. Uh, appreciate uh, that. Um, I'd like to add one, too, um, that's been helpful to me is that, you know, lots of times we we try to get Bible studies with people. We'll say things or we in our minds, we may think, OK, I need to get them to repent of their sins. First, I need to get them to recognize they're a sinner, then to repent, confess, be baptized the whole nine yards, get them to church, blah, blah, blah. Um, but sometimes uh, that's been effective for me is here's a person who is having problems raising his children or who has a problem with his or her spouse. And, uh, and so, you know, here's, here's a wife who, okay, I need help. I, I see that. I, I look at, at this family over here who, is a follower of Jesus and they have what it looks like to be the perfect family, but it's, it's the, it's the family that's godly. It's the family that's actually putting into practice the instructions of God. 
and there's fruit being born there. And there is a loving relationship between husband and wife and between children and parents. And the children are respectful and obedient and people of the world see that and they want that. And so here's someone who says, I, I need that. I need some advice, some biblical approach. You know, how do I raise my children from a biblical standpoint? Or how do I be the kind of wife to my husband that I see over here? And that's how you can open up that door and study with individuals is sit down with them and say, okay, you're asking about how to be the right kind of father and the right kind of husband and get them to, to recognize what the scripture says about that. And then when they see those things and they put those things into practice and they learn to appreciate the commandments of God, that opens the door for more conversation and you're building credibility with them. And you're able to then get into that conversation with them about uh, sin and salvation and such. So that's just some thoughts uh, that I wanted to share too. Anything else, guys? All right. Uh, next question. I think we have uh, oh, a good one here. Uh, how do I talk to my teenage children about the gospel? All right. Uh, let's see here. I think, does everybody here have a teenager? Nick, you don't. I don't. I, I'm I'm one year away from having a teenager, so that's really scary. In fact, it hit me the other day that my son will be driving in three years, and I I hate that. Uh, that's that's really scary to me. But Mark, Terry, Brian, uh, and the other Mark Dunnigan, y'all have teenagers, so let's uh, let's hear it from y'all. Go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was gonna say, um, mine, mine are above teenager, but I think that's true of the other guys too. Well, we wouldn't know how old you are because you don't have any hair, so we don't. That's have right. Hair that's right. Or... Yeah. It's hard to say, you know, the, it says the white hair is the crown of wisdom that really leaves guys like me out of luck. But, um, well, you know, uh, let me kind of talk a little bit about parenting in general, because one thing I would say is if, if you're waiting till they're a teenager to have a conversation about the gospel, you probably waited too long. Um, I, I, I like to say that we tend to lose the control over our kids just about the time they start to be teenagers, meaning control where they're going to listen and do everything we say just because we're mom and dad. Uh, about the time they become teenagers, you know, adolescent development, they begin to develop their own identity and personality. And that is kind of an independent thinking that, you know, so what you're doing before that is you're trying to, and I always like to think of it like a bank, you're depositing credit with them, uh, credit that then when they become teenagers, you're going to withdraw as influence. And you have to understand that you're only going to have as much influence with them as credit you put in beforehand. And that's things like, you know, when the kids are really small, you're spending time with them, you're interacting with them, you're, you know, dad, you're playing with them. And it's important for dads because a lot of times they think, well, you know, the, I, I'm not going to be as important to my kids till they're older. But by the time they're older, if you haven't set up uh, that uh, credit with them of influence, you're not going to have the influence. So what you've got to do is early on, you've got to be generating uh, that credit towards influence. Uh, and that way, when they're teenagers, and like I said, you no longer have control over them you have set up an influence. Uh, when they're teenagers, they're just becoming interested in things like death. You know, in other words, it just realizes then, hey, I could die. You know, that's a important conversation. Maybe they know somebody who dies. Maybe there's somebody on TV or a, uh, somebody they listen to or a sports person they like that dies. And, and death is really a, a shocking awakening for a teenager, or it can be, and it should be, should be something we, we try to hide uh, death from people really, really uh, strongly, but it should be something that stirs the thought of, you know, what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? Uh, because again, as they're developing their identity, they're also trying to identify their purpose. And so your opportunity here is to tell them, number one, you know, you're going to die. That's, that is just how it's going to happen. There's no 
you know, oh, you're not going to die. Don't worry about it. You, yeah, you could die. You know, it, it, your life is right there. Um, and as I said, then, you know, using that influence, you begin to say, well, you know, let me tell you how, why I'm not afraid. You're going to have to talk to them like an adult. You're going to have to convey to them this idea uh, from that adult, because this is an adult decision. You know, to become a Christian is, is the, for, for some people, it's the first adult decision they're going to make, but it, it is the adult decision. And, and as I said, hopefully you've established enough influence by previous interaction that you can then rely on that influence and say, look, you know, let me show you what I've done uh, and let me show you how that's worked for me. And having those conversations like that would be a big help. Okay. Appreciate that. Uh, anyone else? Well, let, let me, okay. uh, let me uh, make some observations here. If, if you are a, a person who now has teenagers and maybe it's just you have recently changed and now you're concerned about them and what direction they're going to take. Uh, as what Brian was saying, if you can, if you can take an opportunity to say, you know, I have great concerns about our family and about our souls. And would you, uh, would you study with me about the reality of Jesus and the reality of what Jesus should mean to us? Because more than anything else in this world, I want you to go to heaven. And I want us to establish that heaven is real. And I, there is a way for us to do that. Would y'all, would you, uh, would you study the evidence with me? Uh, so maybe it is a new experience for all of you, but it, you need to take advantage and make sure that they understand you love their souls and you want them to go to heaven more than anything else in the world. And start there with expressing your love and your concern see what, what kind of door that will open. But, um, but if you're still, they're still young teenagers and you're still, you're still the, their head, you can, you can have Bible studies. Uh, and I would suggest maybe starting with the book of John and just going through and studying the book of John, because the book of John sets up the idea that God is real and he came in the flesh. That's the first chapter. And then it goes on to prove the evidence that, that yes, somebody did come from heaven and did come into flesh and he really was God. And then uh, that means then that there is salvation and there is condemnation and which side of that are we going to come down on? Uh, Jesus is the answer. And so we've got to get them stimulated toward evidence of Jesus being the Christ, the son of God. And so I'd, I'd start there. Uh, talk to them about your concerns and let's have a Bible study. Okay. okay. All right. Mark Gibson. Oh, I, I didn't have a comment, but I would amen okay. everything that's been said to this point. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mark Dunnigan, were you the one with the comment? Yeah, I got a semi that just pulled up here, so I'm not sure if I've got a lot of noise in the background, but uh, are, are you, uh, are you prepared, Brian? I guess it would be, it's, it's, are you prepared to have conversations with them, man, even before they're like 13, 14, about how to resist temptation? How do, you, how, do, how do you resist pornography on the Internet? How do you guard your heart from giving it to a girl or a boy too soon? How do you control your temper? How do you, how do you control your desires and your lust? What's the meaning yeah. of life? Uh, 
boy, long before they become teenagers, you need to have those things worked out on life. It's, I guess, Brian, it's one of those things that don't have kids. If you don't have discipline in your life, there's no way you can discipline children. <laughs> you got to be a disciplined person first. And and uh, if, if, if you don't have the answers to how to handle sin or whatever in your own life, you got an empty well to give to your kids. So maybe there's motivation before they become teenagers, grow up spiritually yourself and you will have the answers. But remember, they're going to be hit with temptation before you think. Uh, they're going to hit what be in, especially in our culture, you're going to have to have the conversations with them long before they hit 13 or 14. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. I once heard someone say something along the lines of, and I'm probably going to mess it up, but if your children and specifically in the context of teenagers, if your teenagers are already fighting you on worldly issues, then you've lost the battle or at least you're losing the battle. Um, and so I think what you're saying there, Mark, is good stuff is ground them in these things so that when uh, these worldly pleasures start to really attack them, uh, you're not, you're not having to fight them on those things and try to, Hey, look how much better Jesus is. No, you've already shown them the greatness and glory of Jesus and they don't want to have anything to do with the worldly pleasures. All right. I uh, appreciate uh, those comments. Nick, did you want to add something? Okay. All right, man. Uh Final question. We got we got time for one more. Uh, why is suicide a sin? All right. Uh, Mark Gibson, we'll start with you. Well, uh, this is a difficult topic because it hits a lot of people. Indeed. Right so where they live. Yeah. And I know people who have lost uh, loved ones to suicide. And uh, many times, uh, as much as you want to see the red flags, uh, you don't see them or you don't want to see them. And you don't want to admit that there's issues there that could end this way. And sometimes it, it just comes out of the out of the blue and you don't see it coming. And so our hearts go out so much to people and, and we want to try to say the right things. And it's a difficult topic, but suicide is a choice. Um, there can be other factors involved, but it comes down to a choice. And somebody feels that there's nothing more to live for. And that there is a lie of Satan that there's nothing more to live for when Christ is the answer to life and Christ is the answer to eternal life. And that's why Paul told the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, as he was about to kill himself because he knew that would be the penalty for losing the prisoners that he assumed he had lost, to do thyself no harm. Uh, and suicide is doing ourselves harm. It is not an act of faith in any, in any idea to where uh, that somehow this is what God wants me to do. Although there are some religions that do that, unfortunately, false religions that call on people to die for some reason. But it is not an act of faith. God does not call upon us to to take our own lives. If our lives are taken by, uh, if our lives are taken because of our faith, that's another issue. But uh, that's martyrdom. But uh, suicide, is a sin. I'm afraid that uh, indeed the scriptures show that that is not an act of faith. It is not something that God wants us to do. We are not to do ourselves harm. We are to, like Paul said, uh, to die is gain. But if he was able to live and not be martyred, he lived. He went on to do the work of the Lord. And that's what we need to do. There's always hope. Suicide is a hopeless choice. 
And we should not make that choice. To stand before God and making that choice indeed puts us in a situation to where I'm afraid we have a hopeless situation. And uh, let's not make that choice. And that may hurt that may hurt the hearts of many who have dealt with this, but let us use it as a as a moment of learning, of teaching. But uh, there may be someone who made that choice, but please, if you're contemplating that, don't make that choice. Look to the Christ who will give you hope to live. Amen. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, so a lot of people ask me from time to time if something is suicide or not. And so I want to take just a moment just to explain a few things that are not suicide. Uh, obviously, what Jesus did on the cross was not suicide. That was self-sacrifice. And, and so that's that's not the same thing either. And, and so that, that's that's the first and foremost thing. But the other one is I was speaking to a fella who was deathly sick. He was just so ill and he was taking medicines and that it was prolonging his life. But he wasn't having any quality of life. He was just vomiting. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't be around his grandkids. And, and he asked me, he says, Nick, if I stop taking these medicines, I'll die sooner. And, but, but I don't want to, uh, I don't want to sin by committing suicide. So he was worried if he was, if he stopped taking the medicine, if that was suicide. And, and I don't think that is, it, it's choosing, you know, quality over quantity. And, and so it's a, um, it, it, sure, some medicines can prolong your life, but he was dying already. And, and so he wanted to be able to have some moments with his, uh, with his grandkids and he wanted to be able to build memories while he still had opportunity, but that was impossible, uh, with that certain medicine. So it, it can be a very tough question. Uh, and, and, but, uh, you know, choosing, uh, choosing quality over quantity, I don't think is the same thing as a suicide either. All right. I would say this. I, I can feel for people. I've been in a situation where I, I was in so much pain for so long that I wanted to die. I wanted to. And I prayed that God would take me. But I knew that I couldn't take my own life. So, uh, and, and the reason I knew that is because God didn't give me that authority to take my life. And so that held me back. The doc doctor asked me, are you, are you depressed? And I said, yes. Uh, do you think uh, suicidal thoughts? I, I said, no, I, but I do pray that God would take me if it's his will. But, uh, you know, you have to have that mental preservation, self-preservation, because you know suicide is not God. God doesn't give you that option. And so, yes, things may be hard. Things may be tough. Things may be uh, not what you want, but you've got to fight through that because you are not, you're not allowed to take your own life. You can't take uh, life into your own hands. Um, so you must have that self-preservation. Je Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. You wouldn't do this to a neighbor, therefore you wouldn't do it to yourself. That self-preservation is expected. God, God uh, tells us to preserve. And not only that, but if I had done it, I would have done it only out of the emotion that was, as far as I knew, 
was temporary. And it may have seemed like this is permanent, but it may not be. And so you, you may be, uh, you may be jumping the gun, uh, so to speak. And I, and I use that, um, that phrase, uh, a little bit, uh, flippantly, but I, I don't mean to be. I want us to think in terms of self-preservation because you are in a body that is going to be trying and you're going, it's going to try your soul. And got, that's part of soul building, uh, perseverance, hanging in there, hanging tough. But perseverance, or that's a quality God wants us to develop. And so hang in there, even when it seems like there's not a good reason as uh, uh, far as this life is concerned, it doesn't seem like things are going to get better. You still leave that in God's hands. Uh, when that moment comes, let that be the decision of God, not your own. Now, as, uh, as uh, others have said in the, in the program already, you are, uh, there are circumstances uh, that you're just deciding quality over uh, quantity and and you know the inevitable is just around the corner and that's not suicide but but uh, but know this that that pain and difficulty you're going to have to to push through a lot of that so don't don't make a rash decision about taking your life into your own hands because God doesn't give you that right and those are my thoughts yeah uh, Brian Haynes did you want to add anything to that no, all I would say is that, uh, boy, these guys have all said some really great things. Um, first of all, um, things that I just think are really important. Yeah. There's a lot of times in the Bible and kind of uh, hit down again on what's already been said a little bit. Uh, a lot of times in the Bible where people came out and said, I just wish I was dead. You know, a lot of times prophets did. I remember Elijah saying, you know, I just I'm no better than my father's. I wish I was dead. Moses saying, I can't deal with these people anymore. I wish I was dead. Uh, you know. Uh, time and time again, prophets would say, I just wish I was dead. They, you know, uh, Terry's point about being in such pain um, really resonates. You know, a, a lot of brethren I know uh, hurt horribly and they're they're just wishing they're dead. One of the issues, though, is that when we suffer, there's a value to suffering that we don't always appreciate at the time. Well, we never appreciate at the time, um, but it's valuable because it teaches us. It teaches others uh, things that we need to experience. If Job hadn't suffered like he did. Uh, would we have the book of Job to give us such hope and encouragement? Uh, and when I see brethren, I, I just read a post yesterday by somebody who's suffering terribly and they were talking about what they're going through. And it was such an encouragement to me. It was such a keep my mind on the prize kind of conversation for me that it really focuses us in. Uh, we don't just live for ourselves. We're not just yeah. here for us. And, and yeah, we live in a world where everybody wants you to think that. And that's why suicide has a popularity because if it's just about me, if I'm the only one that matters, then if, you know, then, then suicide seems a much more reasonable option. But the Bible says time and time again that we're, we're dead to ourselves or alive to Christ. We live for ourselves or for others and for Christ um, and not, we don't live for ourselves. And so suicide ceases to be a, 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 at all an option, not just because, yeah, you're killing somebody made in the image of God and that's murder and that's a sin, but also it's, it's forgetting that I'm not here for me. I'm here for someone else. And sometimes my suffering is valuable to other people. And I may not appreciate that. Uh, I may not like that, but it's important uh, to understand that because that's one of the core concepts of being a Christian. It's not about me. Yeah. 
Good thoughts, guys. Appreciate that. All right. We are way over time and uh, we need to go ahead and end and pick up with the other questions for next week. So apologize if we did not get to your question today. We'll do our very best uh, next week. Any last minute comments before I close up with those uh, announcements? All right, guys. Appreciate your time today. And I know the audience uh, also appreciates the uh, wisdom that you brought to the table in answering those questions. For those who, of you who are tuning in, Maybe you're new to the show. This is the Answering Religious Error Show. We go live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live Bible Q&A. If you have a Bible question, you can email us questions at answeringreligiouserror.com or you can private message us on Facebook, facebook.com slash answeringreligiouserror. And then you can catch us on Twitter as well, YouTube, and then podcast, all major podcast platforms. If by chance there is a favorite podcast platform that you listen to or subscribe or uh, have on your phone, uh, but we're not on there. Let us know so we can get on there and uh, we'll do our very best to do that. And also there's another podcast. It's the daily answer with Mark Dunnigan that drops every Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. Eastern time. And so if you're interested into having some more material to listen to and to study uh, more content, then we encourage you to check that out with Mark Dunnigan the Daily Answer, it's on all major podcast platforms. Then on Tuesdays is the Answer and Religious Air live interactive Bible study. Currently, we're doing a series called Why I Believe, and uh, we're looking at different things that, that we believe as Christians, things that we believe in our heart, the things that we profess and, conf and confess, confess with our mouth, and uh, what, we, what we hold to, uh, what we believe that we're going to be judged on. And so if that is something that interests you, we'd encourage you to check out every Tuesday on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and podcast, the Why I Believe uh, series. Don't forget also Bob Myhan's show called Bob's Bible Basics. That's every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Bob was not with us today. He's not feeling well. and uh, But you can catch him on YouTube and Facebook, and he deals with the basics of the Bible. He's currently be going through a series on the Holy Spirit. So if you want to learn more about that, then I encourage you to go to his Facebook page, Bob's Bible Basics BBB is the way to remember that every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's all the time that we have on the Answer Religious Era show for today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting the show and sitting in your questions. God bless.